0: Well, the Red Raiders got back right in a big way against Houston Baptist. We'll recap that and look ahead to the midweek against Texas Southern. This is Dinger Derby.
1: Welcome Welcome. Welcome. to Dinger Derby. The official podcast of Red Raider dugout.com The only website completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join Keith Patrick twice a week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. Way through Omaha. This is Dinger Derby.
0: Well, after a tough weekend in Arlington, Texas, the Red Raiders came back 0 and 3 for the first time since 1994. But they hosted the Houston Baptist Huskies here in the home opening weekend at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park, and the Red Raiders wasted no time in getting back right. Texas Tech took down HBU 18 to 3 on Friday, eight to one on Saturday and then finished the sweep with an 11-2 victory on Sunday. That Friday game was a run rule game. It ended after six and a half, as the Red Raiders had a massive lead and the coaches met at the plate and called it done. Texas Tech opened it up in that game. They had six home runs hit. Jace Young had two, a three-run shot to left field in the third and followed it later with a solo shot to right center in the fourth inning. Cole Stillwell hit the big one of the day, the grand slam to really open things up. The first home run of the day, that one was in the second inning, going deep out of left field. Nate Rombach had a two-run shot out of left field himself, and Cal Conley also a two-run shot left field. Braden Runyon, the JUCO transfer out of Kentucky, got in on the action too, and also a big shot to left field. It was a little bit of a bigger ballpark on Saturday but to finish things up Friday another bright spot for the Red Raiders was Brandon Birdsell who came in with a 1350 ERA had a really tough outing against Arkansas Birdsell cut that down significantly he went four and a third innings pitched Gave up five hits, three runs, only two of them earned one walk and had two strikeouts. He wasn't perfect, but he was a heck of a lot better than how we saw him before. And the transfer out of San Jacinto College is one that Coach Tadlock is going to want to see ready and able to jump into those starting situations and do a good job. And I think Birdsell did do a pretty good job on Friday. He talked about in the postgame press conference about not being who he was and not playing the way he should have and not... Doing the things he should have been doing at Globe Life Field, and he certainly got right after just a few days back at home and had a nice day for the Red Raiders. Nick Gorby and Chase Webster came in in relief. Gorby did an inning in two-thirds of hitless baseball, had two walks and one strikeout. Webster went an inning to end it up, and it was perfect baseball for Webster. Other Red Raiders to get in on things throughout the day, Drew Baker, who did not get a home run, but went three for five on the day, had two runs scored. Dylan Noisy got on with a walk, reached on an E6. Max Marshock came in for Noisy late in the game, and there in the sixth, he actually works the 10-pitch at bat. It ended up in a strikeout, but seeing Max Marshock do things like that is very positive For the young outfielder. And that is exactly the type of at bat, the type of approach you want to see from him, fouling off and spoiling pitches and waiting and looking for his pitch out there. We already talked about Stillwell, who had the grand salami. He also had a double in the third. Stillwell went two for five on the day for Texas Tech. Cal Conley, who had his home run in the third, actually had two hits before that. He was three for four on the day. He actually had a single in the second and then had a double in the second when he came around and batted again as the Red Raiders worked all the way through the order and then some in a long second inning. Kurt Wilson had a pair of singles. He was two for four on the day, had an RBI and a run scored in there as well. Nate Rombach, we mentioned the two-run shot, but he also had an extra base hit in the third, a double to left corner, and had a single in the fifth. That Double for Rombach was a two RBI double, so he goes three for four on the day as well. Braden Runyon had a single in the second, and Braxton Fulford had three hits as well before he was replaced in the lineup by Drew Woodcox as a pinch hitter. So overall, just a big, dominating day by the Red Raiders. Exactly what you want to see facing against a team like Houston Baptist in your home opener on a Friday afternoon. That game was moved up to 2 o'clock, so the crowd not quite as stout out there, but a good day nonetheless. Saturday at the ballpark, it was Patrick Monteverdi who got the start. Now, there was some surprise among Red Raider fans that Micah Dallas did not get the start this weekend. As Brandon Birdsell took over the Friday slot, Monteverdi moved into the Saturday slot. Of course, he pitched last Saturday, but that was the first day of games last weekend as the college baseball showdown was moved back a day due to weather. Monteverdi had an absolutely exceptional day for the Red Raiders. He had seven innings pitched, two hits. No runs, no walks, and nine strikeouts. He was extremely efficient, finished those seven innings in 79 pitches, 54 of them were strikes thrown. He had a great four-pitch mix working throughout the day. His changeup was incredible. He is not a big velocity guy. He's not one of the guys that'll blow you away with 98, 99. He's really bumping 91, 92 for the most part. That's where he sits with his fastball. But just did a really nice job getting ahead in counts, working in and out of trouble. Monteverdi retired him in order six of the seven innings he pitched. That was with two base runners, and so his defense was there for him as well, making that possible. So just a good day all around for him and excited to see what he has in store. Monteverdi talked a little bit about the jump from division two Seton Hill up to Texas tech and a lot's been made of that, but I wanted you to hear it in his own words as he talked about it in the post-game availability. Here he is.
1: A lot of people don't give the PSAC enough credit. Um, there's some, there's some dudes in that conference. The competition was pretty good and we had a kid transfer from coastal Carolina. And I remember it was about two days before I got on my flight down here. He told me, you know, the jump isn't as big as you think it is, you know, coming from Seton Hill and the PSAC. Um, my confidence is kind of unshaken, so I knew if I was going to throw strikes, I can compete with the best.
0: It was a bit of a pitcher's duel early on Saturday, as it was scoreless through three. The Red Raiders didn't get on the board until the fourth inning, and Houston Baptist didn't get on the board until the eighth, and that was against Brendan Gurton, who came in in two innings of, of pretty good relief. Two innings pitched, three hits, one run, it was earned, and three strikeouts for Gurton. Kurt Wilson actually got things started for Tech. Cal Conley struck out to lead off the fourth. Kurt Wilson works a 10 pitch walk an uh, excellent at-bat for him that really changed the complexion of the game up to that point. Wilson moves around on a wild pitch, and then Nate Romback comes in and bats him home with an RBI single to left field. Braden Runyon follows that with a double of his own. He ends up scoring on a Cody Masters double that goes out to the center field wall. So as you kind of work through, all of a sudden things turn over. The Red Raiders had only had one hit up to that point. There was a couple of stars in the book as well defensively for Houston Baptist, making some really nice plays in right field at third base. They had really done some things to smother those Texas Tech balls until then, as I said, only one hit. Kurt Wilson works a long at bat and it changes things. Kind of reminiscent of Cameron Warren at the College World Series against Florida where he worked an extremely long at bat and it kind of flipped the game over on its head and changed the momentum with just that one A-B. Ultimately, you had multiple Red Raiders scoring runs. There was no major, big, bold hits out there of the day. There were some good ones. The Red Raiders hit five doubles on the day, but no home runs, no crazy highlight-worthy hits for Texas Tech on the day. There was some nice defensive plays by the Red Raiders, some that didn't show up in the stat book. Kurt Wilson went to the bag side there at third with a backhanded grab and, and finished it out perfectly for the out. Cal Conley went full extension glove side, and smothered a ball there. Didn't get the throw for the out, but saved extra bases. So some really nice plays that went on for the Red Raiders. Overall, it was a good day for Tech. It was a great day on the mound for Tech. There were some differences, some new things we hadn't seen. Cole Stillwell caught a full nine-inning game for the Red Raiders. It was the first time Stillwell had caught a game since May 24th of 2019. That was in the Big 12 tournament versus Kansas. So Cole Stillwell, his fifth career start at catcher for the Red Raiders, did a really nice job as a backstop back there, worked well with his pitchers, not a lot of miscommunication. I bet his legs were a little bit tired. Coach Tadlock mentioned that. But you saw... All of your catchers get work this weekend, as Braxton Fulford started on Friday, Cole Stilwell started on Saturday, and then on Sunday, it was Nate Rombach, who gets the start behind the dish. He also did a nice job there. As you go across that day, it was another day that started with about three innings of pitcher's duel. Mason Montgomery gets the start for Texas Tech. The left-hander comes in with a 2.25 ERA and proved that to a 2 before the day was done Montgomery goes five innings pitch gives up two hits one run it was earned two walks and five K's for the second day in the row the Red Raiders were error free that was something that plagued them in Arlington and they have definitely tightened up that defense and played much better baseball this weekend regardless of the opponent errors are errors they're costly either way and they cleaned them up this weekend for the first time of the weekend, Houston Baptist held a lead. They opened the scoring at the top of the fourth. It was the center fielder, Nathan Soriano, who opens it up with a solo Jimmy Jack out to left center field on Montgomery. Wasn't a crazy no-doubter, but he tattooed that ball nonetheless, and Houston Baptist had a one nothing lead, but it did not last for long. As Texas Tech comes in with Dylan Noisy leading off, he works a walk. Cole Stillwell follows with a single. Cal Conley, there's a fielder's choice, and on and on and on it goes. And before it was all said and done, the Red Raiders scored eight runs in the fourth inning batting around. Only three of those runs were earned, as on the fielder's choice for Cal Conley, there was an advancement by Cole Stillwell on an error. And after that, you had unearned runs coming through. Austin Spinney was the starting pitcher for. The Huskies, he had a tough day, seven runs given up in his three and two-thirds. Three of those were earned. Spinny, not a velo guy, a guy whose fastball was sitting like 84, and he worked his pitch mix and did a great job playing his game, and he kept the Red Raiders on their heels for a while. For once again there, they only had one hit, through those first three innings until things started getting heated up. They had some stars in the book once again. Really a strong defensive team was Houston Baptist. Really some nice plays in the field by uh, all around the infield and the outfield. They did a nice job. Ultimately, on the day, Nate Rombach had the big highlight reel shot. He sent a two-run bomb out to center field, slipped just between the wall and the scoreboard. But the hit of the day I was the most excited about was Dylan Noisy, who in the fourth, his second time at bat, hit a two-run triple to center field. He had not hit since the home run in Arlington in the sixth inning against Ole Miss. That was a solo shot to right field. Noisy, this was his 19th at bat since getting a hit, and he pops a triple. Noisy had reached on errors. He had reached on walks. So he had been involved, he had scored runs, but he had not had a hit. I'm sure he was feeling that. He seemed pretty relieved when he got over there to third. It was a stand-up triple, and I think he was glad to get that one out of the way. He ended up with another hit in the eighth. It was a single to right field. So ultimately, a really strong all-around performance for the Red Raiders this weekend. You can't fault the pitching in in really much of any way. Uh, I will say on Friday there was a little bit of oddity that went on, so I want to explain a little bit of what Nick Gorby walked into. As Brandon Bertzel had gotten himself in a little bit of trouble on the base paths, Gorby was warming in the bullpen, and at that point, Doyle Suter, who was the home plate umpire, took a fastball off his left hand, which was exposed there sitting on his thigh as he looked over the head of Braxton Fulford to make the call. He went down to a knee out back behind the plate, pulled off the gear, uh, thought he might be sick. I believe he He was really feeling it on that hand. Ultimately, we find out Doyle Suter did not have any broken bones in his hand. He did need, uh, I think, three stitches to take care of a little gash on there. But he came back and worked the rest of the weekend. But the delay of that for Trey Plummer to go all the way over to to Jones AT&T Stadium, change into his home plate gear, get all the way back, get everything back set. It was a long delay in the game. And so at that point, the Red Raiders went ahead and brought in Gorby, who had to walk in, although he had been warming a little bit cold after this long delay, into a less than ideal situation. I think he handled it pretty well. He did not give up a hit in that. He did have a couple of walks. He, had the, he did have the strikeout ultimately, but it was just a tough situation for him to walk into after Bertzel had given up a couple of runs and had some base runners. So Gorby handled that quite well. Considering the situation. So, to look at your stat leaders right now, as far as the Red Raiders are concerned, Nate Rombach's leading you in batting average right now with a 421. His OPS is a 1.50. He's got 19 ABs. He scored six runs. He's got a couple of doubles. He's got three home runs. He's leading your team in that category nine RBI, leading you in that category as well. He's slugging 1,000. His on-base percentage is 500. He's worked three walks. Cal Conley, however, he has a 414. He walked into the Sunday game hitting 500. That changed a little bit. His OPS is a 1.035. He's got 29 ABs, so he's been at the plate more than any other player on the team. He's got 12 hits, three doubles. He leads your team in that category with three doubles he's got one home run so far nine ribbies he's slugging a 621 with a 414 on base percentage you say wait how's his on base and his batting average both 414 he hasn't worked to walk yet cal conley has been incredible at the plate so far for the red raiders has had a really nice season you follow down the list jace young's hitting a 381 drew baker a 333 and you go on from there Kurt Wilson is just about to break back over 300 as he plays a little bit more. Dylan Noisy has broken back up above 200. As I said, he was in that little bit of a mini slump, and he broke out of that today with a couple of good hits. On the pitching side, Patrick Monteverdi is the one I want to talk about the most. He's had 11 innings pitched, so he leads the Red Raiders really by a couple innings is the is the next closest. Mason Montgomery's got 9. They've both had two starts. So Monteverdi, 11 innings pitched, he's given up 3 hits, 0 runs, 2 walks, and he has 14 strikeouts. So Patrick Monteverdi in 11 innings pitched, including 4 of those innings against the University of Arkansas in the season opener at Globe Life Field is still hitless. His ERA is still 0. His whip is a .45 and he is allowing a .086 batting average against opposing batters. He's absolutely been nails for you. I'm sure those numbers will change as we go along, but an incredible start for Monteverdi, who has yet to give up a run in two starts and 11 innings pitched. And then you have multiple Red Raiders at that zero ERA. Haid Key, Derek Bridges, Nick Gorby, and Eli Reekman, all with a zero ERA. Brendan Girton, who's had five and a third innings pitch, he's throwing a 169. Not too shabby for him. Mason Montgomery right at a two even. He's got nine innings pitch so far. He's allowing a 172 batting average against. His whip is at a one even as well. Connor Queen got some work today. His second outing for the Red Raiders, he's tossing a three even ERA in his three innings pitch. He's given up three hits and one run. So overall, a good weekend to get back right for the Red Raiders, and it should be more of the same or maybe even a little bit uglier as you look ahead to the midweeks. Now, I mentioned earlier some surprise that Micah Dallas was not in that weekend rotation. And I had some questions come my way. Is he hurt? Is there something else going on? Are they just shoring up the bullpen? I was thinking they were shoring up the bullpen or using it as an opportunity to get Micah Dallas' pitch count up and get him more comfortable. I think that may be what it is. As Coach Tadlock, after the game on Sunday, told us that Dallas would be one of the starters in the midweek games against Texas Southern. Those will be a Tuesday-Wednesday series against Texas Southern. The... Tuesday game was scheduled to be at 6.30 p.m. That has now been moved up, unfortunately, to 3 p.m. That game will not be streamed on ESPN Plus because of the basketball game, who had some reschedules here late in the season, trying to pick back up games that were canceled for COVID earlier on. So Texas Southern, Tuesday at 3 and Wednesday at 1. The Wednesday game is currently scheduled to be on ESPN+. Plus. Of course, they're always on the Texas Tech Sports Network on radio, and you can keep up with them at Red Raider Dugout. Randy and I will do our best to bring you live updates as we can. So Micah Dallas and Chase Webster will be your starting pitchers in those two games and they'll have a good opportunity to get those pitch counts up and focus on the things they need to focus on because you're facing live batters one way or the other and so you can get out there and do the things you want to do and have your goals set for that game and I'm sure that's what coach Gardner will get with them to do and talk about the goals they have for that particular outing and what they need to be doing because when it comes down to is accomplishing that. The, the guy with the bat on the other end matters, but is not going to matter at this point when you're trying to get things done and get yourself ready to go. Not a lot of information to give you as far as crystal ball type stuff for Texas Southern. They've only played one midweek game. It was against TCU. Brian Willems got the start in that one. He went two and two thirds, gave up seven runs. He had four strikeouts, gave up seven hits. Uh, and then it was just... John Q bullpen after that one. There were five more pitchers that came in in that game, and and you'll hear why in just a second because it was a tough one for Texas Southern. Their season has not gone particularly great for them. Many schools in Texas are kind of stuck on a Texas circuit right now, especially Texas Tech, as the Red Raiders are unable to play some of our normal regional opponents in New Mexico and things like that. So they opened things up at the University of Houston in opening weekend. They lost the first one 6-1, the second one the 2nd one one 10-4, and the third one, 14-4, so not doing much to keep it close there. That solo midweek I was talking about where Brian Willems was the starter, it was a 20 to nothing route at the hands of TCU in Fort Worth. And then they had a weekend series this weekend. They went out there to San Antonio to face the University of Incarnate Word, and they were swept once again. They lost 12-1, 16-6 and 13-5 in the Sunday matchup. So, Texas Southern, unfortunately, a team that's 0-7 right now, and more than likely, and I know Red Raider fans certainly hope this is the case, they'll leave Lubbock 0-9. They'll get their first home games. They'll have a home opener in a series this weekend against Prairie View A&M there in Houston on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, Texas Southern, not a team that most Red Raider fans are going to worry a whole lot about, but the Red Raider team needs to be fully locked in. I do expect you'll see some different guys get a couple more opportunities. may see a little bit more of Drew Woodcox, of Cody Masters, of Max Marshock, some other guys getting some opportunities to work in a little bit more often. I would expect you'll continue to see a little bit more out of your second and third catchers. And I had questions come my way already. I have no indication that Braxton Fulford has any sort of injury. No one uh, has any feeling of that at all. It's just a matter of getting some work for Nate Romback. And Cole Stillwell and helping with the depth there. Both of those guys need to keep their legs up. I think that's a key uh, to success and having depth at that position is being ready and having their legs up. In this one, is that's definitely what you need. Stillwell was back at first all day Sunday as Romback caught, uh, but I bet that he was feeling it a little bit after not having caught a full game since 2019. As far as stats go, for Texas Southern. You've got one player, Nick Garza, who's hitting over 400. He's hitting a 471. He's got 17 ABs, which is about fourth on the team. Oscar Ponce and Tyrese Claiborne lead the team and at bats at 22 and 21. Both those guys are batting sub Mendoza right now. Your only player batting in the 300s, Tyson Thompson, 333. And I should say uh, Dean Salazar leads Texas Southern in RBI. He has three. Nick Garza, who's batting a 471, has one RBI. He's worked four walks. He's tied for the lead with Jordan Vedato. So I think you'll see plenty of guys out there. I just can't imagine this is a team that's going to push Texas Tech too hard as long as the Red Raiders come in and take care of business as they should and as I would expect them to be focused and keyed in. You have some good leadership on that team within the team. You've got some good veteran guys that have been around. You've got a bunch of dudes that have been to the College World Series Series and that they want to go back. And I think that is exactly what you need from an internal leadership standpoint. As the Red Raiders are now three and three on the season, they've gotten back to 500 and have an opportunity to move beyond that before heading to Houston to the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic. I'm sure that Red Raider fans were also interested this weekend to see. Other movements continuing as Coach Tadlock continues to experiment. You have seen some changes in the order. Drew Baker has sat at the top of your order for a while now, and I think that that will continue. Jace Young has also settled into the two-hole, and it seems like that'll be a spot he's hanging, at least for now. Dylan Noisy at three. Cole Stilwell has been at four, regardless of position, followed by Conley. And then from there, it's been Kurt Wilson, Nate Rombach, Braden Runyon when he's in at DH. It really just depends on how things are going. But that's where we sit right now in the order. And then the bottom of that has been Parker Kelly or Cody Masters, as we've seen different guys work in and out. Braxton Fulford as well. So... The interesting pieces in there, Parker Kelly, exceptional defensive third baseman. He showed it again on Sunday. I think that Parker Kelly is a guy, as long as the bat's work. In which he went two for four on Saturday. He had a couple of singles, including an RBI in there. That's a guy, if the bat's working, that he is defensively a great asset for you at third base. He's very strong there. Uh, Braden Runyon is a guy that you've seen at DH. He's been hitting well. He's played some right field. Uh, Runyon has a hose and can absolutely gun some guys down from right field. And so I think that he's a guy that will continue to push and look for an opportunity there in one of those corner outfield spots or at the very least at DH. And I'm interested to see how that continues to shake out. We've seen Kurt Wilson in right field. He got the start there on Sunday as Runyon was your DH. Parker Kelly was your third baseman. So all of that will be interesting to continue to watch, but these guys are certainly continuing to try out actively. And you do have Drew Baker out there as well. He's been starting in left field, but as – Defensive substitutions happen, particularly on Friday, Baker moved over to right field to give way and let some other guys try some positions. So it's just interesting to watch it go. It's interesting to watch it continue to shake out and play out. And I don't think it's going to stop just yet. And so there's there's more to watch. And then there's an X factor out there that's coming in. Dylan Carter should be back available somewhere in that April timeframe. I'll tell you today, Dylan Carter in the fall, was wearing a sling with a big pad under it. He's no longer wearing a sling at all. He was in uniform today. He was uh, soft tossing with guys and moving around. Uh, The flow looks exceptional right now. No no mohawk like last year. It's just a full-on, almost platinum-blonde, Fro out there looks awesome. So that's a guy that will also look to factor back in if the legs are there, if the bat is ready. I mean, it's tough to jump right back in, particularly into conference play. But Dylan Carter, a very talented young guy that will shake that up a little bit further as the Red Raiders go along. But as all this experimentation goes, I also think it's interesting. You have not seen Jace Young move. Jace Young was your third baseman last season. We felt like he was probably moving to second base with conference play. We didn't get to play any of those games. That was the first cancellation was West Virginia and Lubbock. But Jace Young has been at second base. He played all summer at second base. And then he played in the fall and January there exclusively And I asked him in the post-game availability about that move and what it's been for him and how he's prepared for it. I thought he had a really interesting answer. I wanted you to hear a little bit more about it. This summer, uh, actually, when I played in Santa Barbara, I played second base every game. So it was a smooth transition. And then also after COVID, I worked with my brother a lot, uh, just working second base because he thought he was going to play second base for the Rangers. So it just went hand in hand and you know, I just learned so much from him and then the summer the coaching staff the summer did a great job of helping me out, uh drills, all that, and then coming back just the coach's uh work ethic with me, and you know, they, they didn't stop and I think I'd proven myself right now. You hear Jace and Josh talked about in the same breath by every, you know, play by play guy that you're ever gonna hear call one of these games, but when you actually hear him talk about each other, I think it's a little bit more interesting and in how that kind of work can play together. Jace has got a little bit of fire in the belly, and I really like it. Not that Josh didn't. Josh was a pretty even kill guy, but he was definitely a competitor. But I see that a little bit more on Jace's sleeve, and I've enjoyed it. And he's a guy in the Friday availability that was asked about... Coach Tadlock, taking the ownership of the guys not being ready for Arlington and Jace was pretty quick to clap back against that and say, "No, that's on us. We need to own that. That was our mentality that wasn't where it needed to be and I thought that was interesting from a young guy taking that kind of responsibility you know for the team and and being defensive a little bit for his coach. I think that's good stuff. I love that that culture and and you see it you see it in his play he's got a little more fire in him he's uh He's a little more apt to open up the swing and and to look for the power and some of that. So not that he's undisciplined. I'm just saying he's a guy that's he's fun to watch play. And those differences become more and more clear to us the more we see him play and and do look back and see what Josh did. But love hearing that about them working together. Jace is playing a really strong second base right now. And I'm excited to see him continue producing for the Red Raiders as he's going to be an exceptional piece to what I think will be an exceptional team. Well, that's all I've got for you today, folks. That's your recap of what was a strong weekend against the Houston Baptist Huskies. Red Raiders, you can look into the situations of the weekend and see some really good things that they did. There was some really nice pitching that took place and some good positives to take forward at the plate and in the field. I don't look for Texas Southern to be two extremely competitive games, but there are still those positives to look for. You want to see how Micah Dallas looks. You want to see how Chase Webster looks. I would expect, before too long, Levi Wells to be a guy that may get an opportunity and a midweek start also, and I'll be curious to see what that looks like as well. Levi Wells came in on Sunday in relief for the Red Raiders and did a nice job in an inning. It was a scoreless inning with one strikeout. It was Montgomery, Queen, Wells, and then Ryan Sublette who all came in on Sunday. I'll be back in your feed on Thursday. We'll recap those two Texas Southern games, and then we'll look ahead to the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic at Minute Maid Park, where the Red Raiders will take on Texas State on Friday night at 7 p.m., Sam Houston State Saturday at 3 p.m., and Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Sunday at 11 a.m. We'll look ahead to all of those, talk to you about what we expect to see, and recap those Texas Southern games. I want you to be on the lookout for something as well, folks. There's an infielder for Texas Southern. He's a freshman. I don't believe he's playing a whole lot, but I would put him in on name alone. D'Artagnan Padrone deserves a shot. Come on, coach. Put D'Artagnan in. We want him playing at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. I'm Keith Patrick. I've enjoyed it, folks. We'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully we'll see you around the ballpark. Be good. Until we see you
1: next... Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider Baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout and find more great tech baseball coverage at Red Raider Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes and remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back soon with another episode of Dinger Derby and until then... Wreck of Tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust. That's a dead man or a gringo like me. Be the first one to fire. Every man is a liar. There's just one kind of man who tells the truth, that's a dead man, or a gringo like me.